Yo, 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 what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the podcast called Getting to Know God. This is the place where we look to the scriptures and only the scriptures to know the one true living God of the Bible, letting him speak for himself in his word here through the Psalms. I'm Brandon, also known as Pastor B-Side, and today we're going to look at the attributes of God as the Lord describes them in Psalm 8. The title for our study today is called Think About It. But real quick, before you start thinking about it, and before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that if you've been digging on these studies or the things I do as a ministry, please hit the like button, hit the share button, and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. Not those other podcasts, but this one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can subscribe whatever you want, but just make sure this one is included. Because I know it sounds silly, but it really helps make sure that this teaching can be more easily found for other folks who might need it. Because we know the more action and activity that social media sees, the more likely it is to recommend it to other people. And at the end of it all, it really helps us bring glory to the Lord as more people find good stuff. Amen? So enough of that. Let's check these verses. In Psalm 8, the Bible says this, To the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a Psalm of David, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. All right. So remember that because this psalm is so loaded with good stuff, we're breaking it up into three parts. Now, last episode, we broke down verses 1 and 2, talking about the glory of God and how he reveals his glory in such a backwards way, especially from a human perspective, right? Well, today, we're going to look at part 2, specifically in verses 3 through 4. So let's start to break those verses down. Now, the Bible presents truths that are worthy of consideration beyond all other things. I mean, the Bible's tough. We should know that, right? It's got some really confusing stuff in it. It's got stuff in there that's kind of simple to understand, but then it really challenges our ego, our personal ambitions, our worldview, maybe our traditional upbringing and those sorts of things, right? So it's important to really think about the things that the Bible says. It's important to fully contemplate the issues that scriptures deem as truth. There are a lot of things about scripture that flat out seem unbelievable, but we got to work through that stuff, right? To the believer, it's important to think these things through, using the brains that God gave us for their true purpose. Now, despite what a lot of foolish people suggest, as a believer, we are not supposed to just blindly accept words on a page without any consideration, right? It's one thing to have faith in the Bible and trust its contents as absolute truth. It's a whole other thing to be lazy and indifferent to Scripture, just glossing over the difficult things that the Bible presents because it's too much work. 
Now, I'm not saying that we're supposed to challenge God and question the things that he puts in the scriptures, you know, questioning his integrity. But at the same time, we got to understand he's not afraid of our inquiries and isn't troubled by our desire to reason things through. That's the real reason that God gave us intellect as human beings, to reason through the difficult truths of Scripture as they pertain to the Lord, His purposes, and His promises. The Bible straight up commands God's people to meditate on His Word. If you've read the Bible to any degree, you know some of the Lord's truths, (laughs) they're pretty hard. But again, He's not afraid of what happens if we try to think things through, like, you know, we're going to find out he's hiding something. That's not how it works, because remember, that's what the devil tempted Eve with back in the day. He's actually excited about giving us understanding. Our consideration of the contents of Scripture is not evidence of unbelief. In fact, it's in that time that we engage in mental exercise to store information from the Bible into our brains, to know that God will answer our questions. He's going to strengthen our faith. And he's going to assure himself in our hearts in that time. It's hard work, but it's also refreshing and it's nourishing to our souls, right? So the testimony of Psalm 8 calls for the people of God to consider one of the most basic and fundamental things about God, his identity as creator. And the reason we talked about using human intellect in our minds is because of this word consider. So we want to think about that, right, in terms of how David use this term in what he was considering. So again, verses three through four, David wrote this. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? So first, the word consider here in the text is a really strong word. The first time this word is used in the Hebrew language, like in the original manuscripts of the Bible, is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 4. And there the Bible says that God saw the light that he made manifest on day one and declared that it was good. Now, the English word saw in Genesis 1, 4 is the same word that David used in Psalm 8, 3 that's translated into our English word, consider. So that means that David's consideration of God's work to make the heavens was parallel to the attention that God gave to the revelation of his own essence as light, which then caused him to declare it as good. So this is a big deal, right? God first realized the condition of the world before light, and then revealed himself in a unique new form by saying, let there be light. Now, a lot of people believe that this physical manifestation of light on day one was actually the revelation of Jesus Christ in some form as the light of the world, just like he said of himself in John 8, 12. A lot of good Jewish rabbis or rabbis teach that the mention of light in Genesis 1, 4 is actually the first mention of the Messiah in Scripture. Now, since Yeshua HaMashiach, right, Jesus Christ, is the express image of God as God in flesh, that means that the Father saw that light was good because he saw the manifestation of his own attributes and characteristics in Yeshua, which actually translates into God is salvation. So that means that the Father closely examined the effects of his own declaration to see that it was exactly what he wanted, which ultimately was himself, the manifestation of himself. After intensely looking at the declaration and manifestation of his purpose, 
He was satisfied, and so he said that it was good, setting the standard for all things that he sees as good. Now, this is the type of consideration that David was talking about. So obviously, he didn't just receive revelation from God and move on to the next thing in his life like it was nothing, right? David didn't try to multitask his prayer time. David didn't commit a measly 15 minutes to a short blurb about Scripture later in his day, right? David spent a lot of time thinking about God. Still, though, this psalm shows that David didn't just think about God from a position of entitlement. He didn't think about God just hoping to get something from him. It's like, okay, Lord, I'm going to think about you for a second, so you need to do this for me. (laughs) That's not what the text is implying here. In fact, Psalm 8 verses 3 through 4 shows that while David thought about the character and nature of God, he marveled that he had received anything at all from God already. So the approach to considering God is much different in our modern church culture now, right? Now, our consideration is based on how quickly we can get something spiritual in front of our eyes, right? It's not uncommon to see people leave even a good Bible study and immediately start talking about things totally unrelated to the message that they just heard. I mean, for a lot of us, our consideration of God is like the expedited exercise of putting something in one ear so we can shove it out the other while trying to fill our minds with things that we really consider more pressing or interesting, right? That's not the example that Scripture gives us here with David. So the things we're seeing here in Scripture with David are pretty contrary to modern culture, which should tell a lot of us that some changes need to be made, right? So then let's really consider these things and make some of those changes so that we can be pleasing in the sight of our God and Savior. Amen? So David looked at the things that he could see with his eyes that God created, and he was totally dumbfounded, like blown away. He looked at the work that God did to form the heavens and the earth, and he tried to reason through it. You ever done that? Like, it's quite an exercise. So while David couldn't figure out all of the details of God's work and how he did it, obviously, He did learn some things about God that were valuable by considering the things that he could understand. Now, the point is not to try and figure God out, to try and match him in wisdom or explain all the full details of his essence, right? That's not possible. The point is to recognize how transcendent and unsearchable God really is, right? And then marvel at the reality that we actually get to connect and commune with him anyway. That's the greatness of this psalm. So what did David specifically consider? What did David ponder? What did David see and examine closely to try and reason through that in his mind? Well, the text tells us he first saw the heavens, but he saw that they were God's own heavens. So David saw the clouds in the sky and realized that they belonged to God because he's the one who made them. David saw the stars in the universe and realized that they also belonged to God because he made those too. (laughs) So picture this for a second. Looking up into the the dark, empty skies at night, like from the Middle East, because that's where Israel is, David would have seen pretty much a, a black canvas filled with millions of spotted lights of various hues. And depending on the time of year, he maybe even saw like the galactic core of the Milky Way like we see in a lot of our night sky photography that you can find like all over Instagram. David saw 
all of that multicolored dust light, right? Knowing that there were an innumerable amount of stars and figured that each and every one of them belonged to God. They were God's possession. The stars were like collector's items to God. <laughs> David could only imagine the size, the scope, and the distance of some of those stars, but those things didn't really matter. When David thought about God, he recognized the supreme glory and majesty of God. Not only that he's above the stars in the universe, but also that he's able to maintain possession of all of those things at all times. Now, how can someone keep track of such a ridiculous variety of lights, substances, gases, objects, all kinds of different forms of matter out there in the universe, right? Well, God does. Now, the interesting thing is, with all that stuff out there, it's not like God is a hoarder, right? Just storing stuff up without purpose. The fact that God created the sun, moon, and stars with purpose from the beginning shows that his continual possession of these things reflects that he is still using them for his purposes. God's possession of clouds in the sky, for example, and all of the objects of outer space show that God holds all things in his hands at all times in order to accomplish his purposes concerning eternal things that he's declared to us in his word. Now, how often are we thinking, like really thinking, about these truths concerning God and our jam-packed schedules and busy lives, right? I mean, it's no wonder why we often struggle with our faith. We aren't really considering the truth of the Lord like Scripture says we should if we're honest with ourselves. And look, I'm not excluding myself from that point either. This is tough. At the same time, though, it is fitting that as part of David's consideration of the heavens— that he was also probably considering God's other possession, his heavenly kingdom, the other heavens. That's why it's listed as plural here. God isn't only in control of our plane of reality. He's also in charge of his own eternal dwelling place where there's like angels and demons and stuff, right? So God's throne is in the eternal realm. And the Bible vividly teaches that all those things there are subject to him also. In other words, there is nowhere anyone can go at any time where God's authority and control grows weak. It's not possible. He's totally sovereign over all things, at all times, in all places, in all ways. As the creator, everything belongs to him. It's in his hand under his authority, and it will always be this way. When David looked up, that's what he remembered. David also reflected on the extent of God's strength. For some people, the possession of something and the work required to maintain it, it can be kind of cumbersome or difficult, right? It can be frustrating sometimes. It can be time-consuming and just a pain, like owning and taking care of a house, for example, or a car, right? That's difficult work, depending on the size and scope of what it is. Well, that's not the case for God, considering the size and scope of the universe or even his eternal dwelling place, right? Even though he's in charge of so much, he doesn't strain. David saw that God ordained the sun, moon, and stars with his fingers. <laughs> so this principle explains that while space seems really open and scattered to us, 
and a lot of foolish people even suggest that the universe was formed by some random and accidental effect of a major explosion. That's stupid. What the Bible teaches is that God had specific purpose and intentions for each and every facet of the universe, and he's been controlling all of that ever since. So where the text says that God ordained each star, that word is teaching us that he established each one. Yes, each star. (laughs) He spoke all of those objects into the universe, into existence, out of nothing in a moment's time, but then placed each one in a specific location according to his plans and purposes, so that the structure we examine today is the byproduct of God's original work. The work was so easy for him to do that David gives this poetic description of God only needing to use his fingers to handle the massive materials like our sun, right? The planets, every galaxy, all of that stuff, and God only used his fingers. (laughs) Now, when looking at the order, the structures, the shapes of these galaxies in space, it's clear that God placed things in particular places to function certain ways, because if he didn't, there would be chaos and no life. And if for any reason, to cause the people who pay attention for the right reasons, you know, people like David, to marvel in his power and wisdom. For everyone else who pays attention, God is still proving his power and eternal Godhead. Now, when people look at and even study these things today, it's common for us to want to understand what God's purposes are for those things, right? So if God placed Saturn with its rings and all of its moons in the specific place that he did, why did he do that, right? I don't know, but we asked that question. Now, the problem is that since people can't explain the reason why, because the Bible doesn't address every single detail to every single question we have, so a lot of people try to just remove God from the equation as if there was no intelligent designer. Our inability to understand why does not disprove God, as foolish people suggest. In fact, it only exalts the superiority of his wisdom, his power, his providence, and his control, because we can't figure it out, right? See, David took the right approach. After taking time to think about the work that God did to create the universe the way that he did, and the little effort that God exerted to display that kind of wisdom and power, David didn't question God because he couldn't figure God out. That's pretty stupid, right? If you could figure out the God who did all of these things the way that he did, right? He wouldn't be much of a God. You just figure him out. See, David was humbled when he considered these things. David actually wondered why God was concerned with us. Instead of wondering why God did what he did, David wondered, God, what are you doing messing around with people like us? If you got all this power, wisdom, and control, right? And he wasn't saying it sarcastically, like despising God's involvement. He was marveling over the fact that someone with such power, wisdom, and control would even consider us. In fact, that's exactly what he wrote. And that's a good point, right? It's a good point for all of us to consider. For all of the ridiculous things that are so fascinating and inspiring in space, why is God so connected to such pitiful and tiny people on planet Earth. (laughs) I mean, science has spent billions of dollars in search of life and other places in space, and none of them 
have been successful to any degree. This only continues to prove the Bible's point that God created life on this planet and this planet alone because the center of his revelation is here. Yet that doesn't fully address the backwardsness of God's intentions. God not only selected a tiny planet like Earth to form rebellious creatures in the likeness of his own image, but he also, oddly, selected Jerusalem as the dwelling place for his own throne. So like, if you're confused, so was David. That's kind of the point. Even though David didn't deal with the issue of God's throne in Psalm 8, it is worth noting the pattern of God's work as it pertains to that issue. David marveled over the fact that God takes time and effort to pay attention to mankind here on earth, even though we're not paying much attention to him or anything outside of ourselves for that matter, right? If God knows and controls all things in space, why is he so concerned with us here, especially considering how we treat him? Compared to the vast expanse of the universe, we are less than a speck. Why is such a transcendent, great, glorious, and majestic God concerned with people that are so small and pitiful in comparison, even to the point that Scripture teaches that he loves us and gave himself for us? Are you seeing where this is going? I mean, how do you explain that? Well, check this out. God not only directs his time and attention to people in the midst of such an engulfing universe, but also chose one of the smallest and oddest places to establish his blessings and his own throne, which is Israel and specifically in Jerusalem. So it's appropriate that someone like David, the king of Israel, who ruled from Jerusalem, was thinking this way. So who are we as people that God is so mindful of us, right? That's the question that David asked. Why does God pay attention to us with so much other greatness in the universe compared to our pitiful and finite frames? I mean, think about this. How many of us are trying to distract ourselves from the lame people around us with more interesting things, right? And yet God is directing all of attention to us lame people. So David wasn't asking this question with the expectation of answering it. He was asking a rhetorical question. David's point wasn't to explain the value of human life, you know, to measure it next to God's infinite glory. You can't do that. Remember that David began Psalm 8 by exalting God's glory. This teaches us that God's glory is actually expressed through the attention and remembrance he gives to the human race in spite of us, not because of us. Even though the universe is so great, God's glory and majesty is revealed through the plans he has for people, lame, weak, finite human beings, right? He didn't create the universe to stay focused on the ordination of planets and stars. It's about people that he put in the universe that are far lesser, which shows the magnitude of God's glory through mercy and grace. David even provided a prophetic reference to explain the glory of God communicated through his mercy and grace. In Hebrews chapter 2, the author of Hebrews quoted Psalm 8 verse 4 to identify Jesus as the Son of Man that visited earth as God in flesh. Now, the context of Hebrews chapter 2 doesn't quote Psalm 8 to refer to Jesus' divinity, even though he is divinely God, but instead to explain his humanity 
which validates the truth and value of his death. The principle shows that the glory of God is really expressed in ways that are way beyond human rationale. That doesn't mean we shouldn't use our brains to think about Scripture, but it does mean that when we do, (laughs) prepare to be blown away like David was, right? I mean, how glorious is God? He not only spoke the universe into existence and placed each star in its place with his fingers in less than 24 hours, but also took the form of flesh on this pitiful planet in order to die for the rebellion and corruption of the people that he created, knowing that they would be that way. Now, this isn't to say that God's creation is weak because we are corrupt. This is to say that God is supremely glorious because he's willing to save, restore, and glorify corrupted things as highly exalted as he is. God took the form of that which is corrupt as the Son of God, meaning God in flesh, but remained totally pure and perfectly righteous the whole time maintaining glory that is equal to the Father, even though he was fully human on earth at the same time. Anyone else comparing to that kind of power, wisdom, or glory? Nope. Who but the God of the Bible, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true living God, can speak things into existence like Yahweh did in the heavens. Who but God can control such a vast expanse like space all on his own, and never get tired or bored for that matter, right? Who but God can maintain that kind of control, wisdom, and power while also simultaneously changing forms into human flesh, continuing to reside on his throne in the eternal kingdom at the same time? Who but God would be willing to change forms for the purpose of being publicly rejected, shamed, and ultimately murdered? Who but God would be willing to die for the benefit of other people, right? So many other people that despise, deny, and disagree with him so often. Who but God would be willing to visit such a terrible, rebellious, corrupt, and wicked people, not only to dwell in our presence, but to provide the greatest gift known to mankind. No wonder David said, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name. This is why we're called to spend so much time thinking about God and who he is. Is there anything else we can come up with that deserves our attention this way? And that's what the Bible teaches about the one that we know as God. So before I get out of here, I just wanted to give you a quick reminder to please take a second and make sure that you're subscribed and make sure that you share the link to this podcast on your social media and make sure that you're letting people know about what we got going on here. We need all the people we can to know the truth about God as it's written in the scriptures and the hope that he wants to give as declared in the Bible, right? Don't keep the people you know from hearing the truth and hope that they may need as it is written. And also keep in mind that all of the Bible teaching I do here is 100% listener supported. This means that I depend on listeners like you to pay all those bills for the tools that make this stuff available to you as well as pay for all the time that it takes to study the word and prepare to this degree. And that work ain't easy. So if this podcast is helpful to you and you value this sort of teaching like legitimately and dig on, you know, the beats and the way we do things, please prayerfully consider sending a donation this way. 
look, we're a legit nonprofit. We have a 501c3 registered with the IRS operating through our parent ministry called Proper Knowledge Ministries. So if you'd like to partner with the work of the gospel that we're doing here, you can do it easily. You can visit pastorbside.com. So it's B-side, like the flip side of a record. Go up to the top and hit the support tab and give any amount that you're able as the Lord leads. And believe me, every bit helps. And if the Lord would lead you, and we'd really appreciate it, maybe even consider partnering monthly with us, making your gift recurring, kind of like tithing to a church, because church is founded on the true teaching of the Bible. And that's exactly what we do here, one verse after another. See, ministries like this need support just like any other, whether we got the full building and infrastructure or not. Look, for all the false teaching that's being shared out there, let's partner together and make a strong effort to get more good teaching out there. So again, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the study. Hope you were blessed and encouraged. So until next time, peace out.